Sometimes I have dreams I picture myself lying Above the clouds High in the sky Conquering the world With my magic piano Never being scared But then I realized I'm a silver girl And I'm here to say it all But I wanna know Who's gonna save me I'm a silver girl And I'm here to save the world I wanna know Why I feel so Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to Sub Media Reviews. I'm your host, Kiara, and I'm super, super, super stoked to review the amazing 2001 film, The Princess Diaries, which is based on a book by Meg Cabot with the same title. The movie features a young Anne Hathaway as Mia Thermopolis, Dame Julie Andrews as Queen Clarice Rinaldi, and Heather Matarazzo as Lily Moskowitz. I remember loving this movie as a kid and feeling like it had this super unique feel that was right up my 11 year old alley. Here are some fun facts about the movie. The Princess Diaries is the theatrical movie debut of Anne Hathaway. Interestingly enough, this is my favorite role for her. I found that I actually don't really care for her in other roles, but I'm super happy for her success. The picture of Mia's deceased father that's next to her music box in her room is actually Anne Hathaway's real life father, Gerald T. Hathaway. He also appears in the movie to be writing the letter to her while fishing. So they used Anne Hathaway's real dad in this movie. Interesting. So The final fun fact is that two out of the three producers of this movie are black women, Whitney Houston and Deborah Martin Chase. This movie, to my surprise, was dubbed an unexpected commercial success and was one of the most profitable films of 2001. Way to go, black women making history, okay? So if you want to check out Princess Diaries, you can watch it on Disney Plus as of the recording of this episode. My personal connection to this movie is super special to me. This movie came out when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And just imagining what it would be like to wake up and find out I was a princess is just like a part of my, you know, 10 year old fantasy. Like, who doesn't want to be a princess at 10 years old? I like this movie because it has this weird feel or style to it that's really hard to describe. There's camp and romance. There are also deep messages 
messages and it doesn't take itself too seriously at the same time. It has this goofiness side. It has this element of fantasy to it as well. And the depiction of the high school life kind of focuses on the weirdos which I think is really cool and which I like low-key identify with. In this movie, I really saw myself in Mia. And on the surface, she and I are nothing alike, but my parents are not together. And my dad has always lived in a different state. So I identify with having a dad that's not very close to you. I also identify with having a very cool grandma. And I consider myself like a non-conventionally attractive nerd back in, you know, my middle school and high school days when I identified as like a not like the other girl's girl. I also bought the soundtrack or received the soundtrack to this movie, which is actually a really good soundtrack. The movie was so great that I actually read the book when I was in high school. And there are glaring differences, y'all, between the book and the movie. And I'm really glad that they changed some of the details from the book. For instance, in the book, the queen was actually a mean kind of nasty woman who had tattooed makeup and who made Mia cry quite a bit. Also, Mia's dad was alive but had cancer in the book. So it's way different from like the upbeat and more positive mood of the movie. And I definitely don't think I would have liked the movie as much if it really had stayed true to the book. And finally, I really like this movie because they made Mia human. She's a 15 year old girl who learns new things. She gains confidence in herself. She disappoints her friends, etc. Like they take you through all the emotions of what it means to like have your life change suddenly and you not really have the emotional maturity to kind of deal with that. So she's a kid who's growing and they explore the good and bad things that really go along with that. So I'm really excited to share my perspective on this movie. Let's dig in. So in the opening scene of this movie, we see that it takes place in San Francisco. We see there's a police escort for a limo that has flags on it. And then we see a puffy haired glasses wearing nerd and her cat Fat Louie. And this nerd, of course, is Amelia, who throughout this movie is mostly called Mia. Do y'all know people named Amelia that go by Mia? I feel like that's like a non-conventional nickname. It feels very, yeah, non-conventional for me. Anyways, we hear Supergirl playing in the background. We see that <laughs> Mia lives in her restored firehouse with her artist mom. And Mia has... A speech coming up that day that she has to present in school. Her mom gives her a little bit of advice about it. And there's a quick scene where Mia is leaving her house and a neighbor is walking past with a dog named Buttons. So Mia says hi to the dog and the dog barks at her angrily. And then in the background, you can hear the dog's owner say, be nice, Buttons. So this little scene encapsulates the feel of the movie that I was talking about earlier. There's something real about hearing like these low key sounds conversations or things that would normally be lost in the background of other movies. I believe that this is probably due to the direction of Gary Marshall who directed this movie. Uh, he's a low-key legend like I did not realize that he directed this movie. If you 
look up a picture of him, you may actually recognize him from some stuff, but he enjoyed like a 50 or 60 year career prior to his passing as a writer and actor on television. He also directed Pretty Woman. So like this guy is really good and he has some range. So may God rest his soul. But anyways, we see that Mia also has a grumpy neighbor named Mr. Robitussin, who's only halfway important to the story, not even halfway, a quarter maybe. We see Mia take her scooter to the school and she meets up with her best friend Lily Motskovitz. They attend the Anthony P. Grove High School, which is a private school. They all wear uniforms and the assistant principal, Miss Gupta, who is played by Sandra O, oh, basically calls Mia Lily's best friend. It's becoming more and more obvious that people generally don't like Mia. They think of her as a freak and she is invisible, even to some of the adults in her life. So we're painting the picture of who Mia really is, right? And the worst thing though, is that one of the kids in the school sits on her because he doesn't see her already sitting down in that space. That was like very rude. Mia's just an invisible nerd that nobody really pays attention to. So Lily and Mia are at school talking and they have a jerk and jerkette sighting where two of the most popular kids in school, Lana, who's played by Mandy Moore, and Josh, who's played by Eric Von Detten, they're making out. Okay, y'all. I don't want to be controversial. Don't want to be mean. In my opinion, Mandy Moore is not a good actress. I'm going to say it. I watched her in This Is Us and her performance here in Princess Diaries was much better. <laughs> She's not a good actress to me. I'm sorry. I'm going to move on from that. So this weird cinematic thing happens where Lana and Josh are kissing each other, but then Josh who is the guy that Mia has a crush on, comes over to her and starts making out with Mia. And it's a daydream, but it comes across as a little more jarring because they're cutting between reality and fantasy a whole bunch in this movie. So they do this over and over again. And this is another key element to like the feel of the movie. But it's debate class time and they're having a debate on whether or not the school should have casual dress on Fridays. And so Josh, does the affirmative side of the argument and argues for why they should have casual Friday. And now Mia has to present the other side of the case where against casual dress Fridays. She's super nervous and insecure and her classmates are being mean and making rude comments. And she ends up running out of the class and vomiting. She ends up getting sick to the amusement of her classmates. And so now that's another reason for them to be mean and rude to her. So after school lets out, we see that she is working at a rock climbing gym. This is very interesting. Mia's 15 years old and has a job. So her mom is not rich, but working at 15. Y'all, this is the first time I realized that she had a job at 15. I don't know why this is standing out to me now. Anyways, she works at a rock climbing gym. Her mom comes to the gym and kind of comforts her and says, you know, I'm going to have a chat with your debate teacher. And this is where we see Mia's mom reveal that Mia's grandmother has called. She's super vague about it. And is basically saying your grandma wants to have tea. And they talk while rock climbing and we get a little bit more of exposition, right? Grandma didn't approve of Mia's mom. 
So Mia's grandma has basically ignored her up until now. Mia has never even met her grandmother, her paternal grandmother, of course. So we find out that Mia's parents made a mutual decision to get divorced. And, you know, Mia's like, okay, I'll go see her because she thinks it'll honor her father, her father's memory, who, you know, her father has passed away. So it's music class the next day and the music class is singing catch a falling star catch a falling star and put it in your pocket never let it fade away catch a falling star and put it in your pocket save it for a rainy day this is the first time this movie was the first time I ever heard that song I actually don't know that I've heard the song anywhere else but it's such a cute song about catching a falling star it's super cute this scene doesn't really exist here at all except to establish this song which does come up later in the movie and to show that Lily has an older brother named Michael who plays the piano for the choir and Michael is looking at Mia all weird and this is like the second time that they show Michael admiring Amelia in her bushy hair nerdy form okay so now it's time for Mia to meet her grandma Mia has to get through security to do this again Mia has no frame of reference for what her grandma looks like where her grandma does nothing so she's just kind of walking into this a little blind okay she walks on the grass to get to the main entrance but there are multilingual warnings that are warning her to get off the grass it's a very simple thing, but it's actually very funny to have like an automated announcement about getting off the grass. It's pretty funny to me still today even. So basically Mia's grandma for now is living in this big castle with servants and security. And we see that Mia, in addition to being a nerd that people don't seem to care about or notice, she doesn't have much cooth. She's one of those people that you can't take nowhere because she's touching things she shouldn't touch. She's leaving her bag in the walkway so that people have to jump over it. She, you know, again, is just doing things that like maybe she shouldn't do. Okay. Given the circumstances. So so we meet Charlotte, who is from the attache corps. I don't know what that is, but basically she's like the queen's personal assistant or something. So we find out that Genovia, the country, this fictional country, is famous for their pears. And we see Queen Clarice Rinaldi enter and everyone stands. And of course, it's freaking Dame Julie Andrews, who you may know from The Sound of Music, or you may know her as Mary Poppins, or you may know her more recently from Bridgerton. But this lady is a freaking legend, okay? First off, I hadn't seen her act in anything else for real, for real at this point since Mary Poppins. So seeing her again was wonderful. Also having her be a grandma with an accent and she dressed nice. She was like a super fashionable grandma up in here. She looked beautiful, y'all. There's something magical about Julie Andrews. So... Queen Clarice Rinaldi takes a look at Mia. Mia, of course, doesn't know she's a queen right now, but the only positive thing she can say about Mia is that Mia looks young. And this is where I'm going to tell you that the queen is literally a little shady in this movie. And it's very funny because I don't think she means to be shady, but it's shady. So she says, Mia, you look young. And Mia can only say that the queen looks clean. So this is basically the first time that they're meeting each other. And 
I don't think that when I was watching this as a child that I could really appreciate how awkward it would be to meet my grandmother at the age of 15, especially if she never reached out or talked to me or basically ignored me for my whole life. I also don't know how a worldly teenager couldn't piece together that her dad was a prince and that her grandma was a queen. I don't know if the internet was popping back in those days, but an encyclopedia, maybe she might have seen. Y'all remember that scene from Coming to America where Eddie Murphy's character spotted himself in a museum exhibit? She didn't see her dad's picture nowhere of him being a prince. I, yeah. yeah, and she's a smart girl. I don't know. I don't know. It's a little unbelievable. So the queen ends up giving Mia a gift, which is a Genovian crest necklace that ends up coming up again later in the movie. It's inside this really pretty and old antique jewelry box that is from the queen's great grandmother. And Mia throws it into her backpack like it's nothing and just shovels it around. So it's time to have tea in the garden, right? She ends up making too much noise with the tea. Then she does a guessing game. She ends up making too much noise with the tea. Again, you can't take this girl nowhere, right? So the queen starts to have this conversation with Mia and she's like, have you heard of this person before? He was the Prince of Genovia. And she's like, no, I don't recognize that name. And she's like, oh, well, that's your father. And she's like, nah, my daddy wasn't no prince, girl. What you talking about? She thinks it's a joke. And she literally finds out that she's a princess from a woman that she met 15 minutes ago. So she proceeds to say, shut up. And they end up having to explain what shut up means to the queen. Like, wow, gee whiz, golly wally. <laughs> God, I love this movie. So... The grandmother introduces herself as the queen and Mia is like, why did y'all choose me? There's not a princessy bone in my body. But basically, since Mia's dad died, she's the next person in line for the throne. And Mia freaks out when Clarice says that Mia can rule because she's royal by blood. So immediately Mia has imposter syndrome. She doesn't see herself as a leader and her expectation in life is to be invisible and she's good at it. But Mia's grandmother tells her, we can help you become a princess. You'll study stuff. You'll learn etiquette. We'll get you ready to live in a castle in Genovia. And then that's when Mia really freaks out, y'all. She does not want to be a princess and she runs off. Then we meet Hector Elizondo, who plays the character Joe. He has a cool head, level-headed guy, and he's the head of the queen's security. So he's going to help the queen out because she's a princess and she needs protection, right? So as the head of security, of course, Joe would take care of that. So Mia goes home and confronts her mother and rightfully freaking so she's mad at her mom and her mom is like, we thought we were doing the right thing. We got divorced so that your dad could go do royalty and I didn't want to have to walk behind him my whole life. I wanted to be free and I wanted to live my life with you. So we broke up and we decided that we wouldn't tell you until you turn 18, but then your daddy died and the timeline got accelerated, right? And Mia storms off. She just kind of doesn't want to hear it. It turns out that Mia's dad and grandma agreed to keep their distance so that Mia could have a chance at a normal life. So it's one of those things where parents think that they're protecting their children by lying to them. It's a classic example, right? You know, lying about being a princess. 
we see Mia talking to her mom angrily, putting in a retainer, and she's like, it's not enough that I'm a freak already, but let's add a tiara to it. She just really is not having it. She's really upset about being told that she was a princess this late in the game. So it's the next day. This is her first full day as a princess or knowing that she's a princess and Joe pulls up in a limo and Mr. Robitussin, who is the neighbor, is using the inspiration to write something and he says something about having won an Emmy before. I literally don't get his deal. Like later on, we find out that he is a writer for soap operas, but I low key don't really get his importance besides him being just a grumpy neighbor. We see Clarice is at Mia's house. She's being shady <laughs> and she gets like a cup of tea or coffee or whatever. While Mia's mom isn't looking, she wipes off the rim of the glass and the table. <laughs> So we find out that the fate of Genovia is in Mia's hands while Mia is doing tricks with her eyebrows in the mirror. Her eyebrows are super bushy, y'all. Basically, if Mia doesn't accept the job, then their family loses the throne to Genovia. Clarice and Mia's mom talk about Mia's dad a little bit, and then Mia comes downstairs to find them talking, and she's over it. She finds out that she has a cousin who's a contessa that they call Pookie. Y'all, how funny is it that Dame Julie Andrews said the word pookie? I feel like that's a super black nickname. I've never seen a white person named Pookie. That is freaking hilarious. That's very funny to me. But we find out that in a few weeks, there's going to be a ball. The queen wants to present Mia at that ball, but they have to work on Mia's princess presence first. And Mia is like, you ignored me talking to her grandma and you lied to me talking to her mom. So we're not family. So Mia goes to her tower and they end up making a deal. Mia is going to go to princess lessons and won't make her decision about being a princess until the ball. And the queen warns her, you got to keep this on the low because the press is going to go crazy. Okay. The neighborhood going to go crazy if they learn about a new princess in their midst. Right. So Mia immediately as she is leaving the house with her grandma starts trying to finesse some money out of her grandma and talks about an old Mustang that she has that's stuck in the shop. The queen introduces Mia to Joseph and Mia finds out that she gets her own limo to go to school and she's riding in it and she's playing with the controls. And again, this girl don't have no clues. You can't take her nowhere. She's just <laughs> touching everything and she's just all over the place. They end up picking Lily up in a limo and Lily tells Joe that he's dressed like Shaft. And the way that Mia explains it is that the limo is a gift from grandma and Mia wants to be dropped off a block away from school so they don't alert the teens, the other people at the school that, you know, there's anything special or different going on with Mia. Joe makes a joke about the limo being a hearse. We see that he's likable and that he is level-headed and we see how nice he is, like even with the tiniest little hoop earring in the history of humanity. So they're back at school. Lana and her friends are making fun of 
Mia because she vomited during her speech. And we see it's time for PE. And the PE teacher is this really pretty lady. And Mia is acting as the umpire in this game of baseball or softball. And Mia throws the ball and it hits the teacher in the head. We find out that she's not very coordinated. She is a nerd and a loser. And on her way home from school, Lily is starting to complain about her dad and her how her dad is like, he's saying I need an attitude adjustment. He's trying to spend time with me, blah, 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 blah. And Mia low-key checks Lily and says, well, at least your dad is still alive. And then the dumbest part of this movie happens. Lily, again, she's 15, but she should be smarter than this. Lily says, hey, I thought you got over that. He died like two months ago, right? <laughs> In what world does a 15-year-old girl get over the death of her non-present father in two months? Like, the way Lily was saying it is like, the only thing your dad did for you was send you gifts for your birthday each year. Like, he didn't raise you. Like, why are you so mad about his passing is basically what Lily's saying. And Mia is like, girl, he was still my dad. Like, yeah, he sent me expensive gifts and he paid for my school tuition. But like, he was still my dad. And I think the biggest part of grieving when you have a parent that's not in your life very often or at all is the idea that you will never get a chance to make things different. This person will never be a part of your life because it can't be anymore. So you're not just mourning their death. You're also mourning the fact that you can never change or make the relationship right. But to have Lily say to her, it's been two months and shouldn't you be over your dad's death is so insensitive. It's the worst part of this movie, really. But they end up parting ways because they have to go to two different destinations. But Lily is like, can we take the limo home next time? Because these hills are killing me. And it's like, mm -hmm. all right, now you want to use her for our benefits, girl. All right, now. So Mia ends up breaking off from Lily to go check on her car at the shop where Lily's brother, Mike, works. Again, Mike has a little crush on Mia. He's in a band called Flypaper and they're practicing in the automotive shop. And some of the girls are there admiring somebody there are two girls that says like he's cute and he plays guitar and he fixes cars he's a total package but when they cut to mike mike is playing the keyboard and he's not only playing the keyboard he's playing a keyboard with m&ms on it what i understand that michael is supposed to be a quirky dude but a piano with m&ms on it and there's a part where it looks like he ate one of the m&ms off the keyboard gross okay so i can't tell if those girls were admiring the actual guitar player or if they were supposed to be admiring michael and they just got the instrument wrong or they cut it wrong or edited it wrong i don't freaking know i don't know what's going on but yeah m&ms pop up in this movie a few times i'm thinking that this was product placement and my 11 year old mind did not put two and two together but yeah mike is into m&ms and of course that comes up later mm -hmm. okay so mia ends up talking to the head mechanic and i'm assuming owner of this business who is a guy they affectionately call doc he wants to charge 400 to fix the mustang of course that's too much money for mia and mike chimes in and he's like hey i'll do some labor for free so that she can like cut down on her cost or whatever but mia is like mm, okay i'll just ask my grandma if she can help out 
and so doc the owner of the shop ends up teasing mike about his crush on mia this is like a little cute scene and also the guy who plays mike was like a, a very cute dude and had like a a Beatles John Lennon haircut or whatever he it was it was very on brand for the time it was cute so it's time for princess lessons y'all so first day of princess lesson and Mia ends up breaking a finger off of a statue of a lady in like the lobby area and she puts it in the statue's mouth again you can't take this girl nowhere they show this beautiful diary that the queen has for her. It's leather and red. One of the only mentions of this diary in the movie, even though the name of the movie is titled Princess Diaries. Like I said, Clarice is like a shady queen, okay? She asked Mia if her bad posture affected her hearing. <laughs> when Mia wasn't paying attention, she was like, does your bad posture also impact your hearing? It's freaking hilarious. Mia gives her a spin so that the queen can point out everything that is wrong and right with her. We got to fix her walk. We got to fix her hair. We got to fix them Bushman eyebrows. She has nice eyes. Oh, she got bad nails. She got to wear stockings and get rid of those shoes that she's wearing. So they do a lesson on walking and Mia is kind of making funny faces and she's not really taking it too seriously. We learn that royalty does not cross their legs in public. They tuck one leg behind the other, which is something I've actually used in my life as a big girl. I can no longer safely cross my legs over each other without cutting off my circulation. So I have used this tip before in my personal life and of course, every good lady protagonist has a fall somewhere and Mia ends up falling out of her chair. So Mia has a chat with her mom and she is upset because Mia's mom went to that little parent teacher conference with Mia's speech teacher and she came out with a date. So she's going to be dating one of Mia's teachers. How fun. Personally, I feel like that sounds like a horror story. If my mother was dating one of my teachers, I would freaking hate that as well. So yeah, Mia is not happy about that and understandably so. So in this next scene, Mia is back at school. It's P.E. again, and she is getting pummeled by soccer balls because she's the goalie. So Josh, the kid that she has a crush on, is giving her pointers and she's imagining them kissing. Again, one of these cuts away from reality. And later on, we see Mia changing out of her school uniform into her princess lesson clothes in the backseat of the limo and joe makes a joke about men wearing women's shoes and we get a silly scene of mia trying to change in the backseat of the limo while joe is driving up and down the hills of san francisco that's a cute little scene so now it's time for princess lessons and today's lesson is about eating dinner there's a scarf tied around her, the top of her chest like in her clavicle area that's supposed to help her with her posture and she can't really reach anything later on we see that she has dancing lessons with joe and mia does like this little ridiculous dance and joe was like hey you're not a doggy on a dashboard let's not do that little neck thing you're doing and they do a dance that's between a waltz and a tango which she cutely calls a wango and the first time he spins her she spins into him and hurts him so they try again and she gets better right away 
until the queen sends her home. But Joseph turns the music back on and he makes a move on the queen and he says, oh, you've been wearing black for way too long. And after that, I was like, okay, so he's insinuating that she's wearing black because her husband died, the king. And I was like, oh, is that a requirement? Like if you're in a monarchy or whatever and your spouse dies, you have to wear black. And I looked it up and I found an article so I don't know how true it is that if you're a British monarch widow, you have to wear black for at least three years after the passing of your spouse. What the heck? Who out here wearing black for three freaking years? Anyways, Charlotte sees that Joe and the queen are dancing, getting their little groove back, and she decides to slink away and not bother them. So we see this little romance brewing. Now, I don't want y'all to get mad when I say this, but I have never seen The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard is the movie with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner, but I do find it strange that a movie that is produced by Wendy Houston features a storyline about a famous queen falling for the head of her security. Okay, you can't fool me, Nippy. You're trying to recreate the same storyline in the movie that you're producing. I see you, okay? So it's the next day at school and Mia is there and we see that as she's getting deeper and deeper into these princess lessons, she's kind of neglecting her friends and we see that this redhead kid named Jeremiah is actually really pining over Lily who is Mia's best friend. He's an amateur magician and he tries to impress Lily with a magic trick, but Lily is not having it. She's not interested. Lily has like a really bad attitude in this movie, but she's 15. So that's like low key expected. So in one of the best and most memorable scenes for me in this movie, Mia goes to her princess lessons and it's time for her to get a makeover. So we meet Paolo and his assistants, Gretchen and Helga. And Paolo has some problems. He's like a little too affectionate when he's kissing the queen's hand and he screams when he sees Mia, but he ends up doing a great job and Gretchen and Helga sign confidentiality agreements. And the grandma has to leave, but Clarice tells Charlotte, her assistant, like, hey, you got to watch Paolo like a hawk. So we already know that Paolo ain't really trustworthy, y'all. Something going on with him. And of course, that becomes more important later. So yeah, Paolo is a great stylist, but he's obviously has a shady background and is a little money hungry. But then we get a makeover montage. So we see that her frizzy hair, Mia's frizzy hair, breaks his brush. I love the part where he says, you know, you have such thick, bushy hair like a wolf. <laughs> He ends up breaking her glasses to get her to wear contacts out of revenge. And then they pluck her eyebrows that are clearly drawn on. They give her a manicure, pedicure, whatever. They get it all did. So they're done. They reveal her to the queen. She has straight hair, makeup, new nails. She looks good. In this particular scene where they reveal her, I think her hair looks a little too 90s for me. It has a little too much volume. I like how her hair looks later on in the movie. But Mia turns around and sees herself for the first time with the makeover. And her expression says a lot when she sees herself, but I don't really know what that expression really means right she doesn't look happy or sad or surprised I can't tell what emotion she's having but 
I'm guessing that they were trying to show that she is feeling like all of these emotions at once. And I feel like they did a the look that she gave was a good depiction of that. So now a new day. This is the next day with her new hair. And we see that Mike has decided to join Mia and Lily for a limo ride to school. So Mike sees her first in the limo and he's like blown away. He thinks that she looks really pretty, but Lily sees Mia's hair and she hates it. And she's like, you look ridiculous. You should sue. And Lily goes on this tirade and she's like, you abandoned me. You have this super expensive bag. You're caring about your appearance too much. And I don't know where you are these days. And you're turning into one of our bullies, referring to Lana Anna in Montana. And she tells her that she's sold out and Mike is like I like it and Mia starts crying silently because of Lily's disapproval so when they arrive to school Joe lets them out and Joe tells her a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt no one can make you feel inferior without your consent and so that I guess encourages Mia a little bit and she puts on a hat to keep people from seeing her hair and so Mia starts to stand up for herself and yells at Lily and says like don't rag on me all the time just because your hair sucks and Mike is a weirdo but he like applauds Mia for standing up for herself and he leaves I think with the harmonica or something and so Lily is like the reason I'm acting like this is because I know there's something you're not telling me and that you're keeping a secret from me even though we said we wouldn't keep secrets and I'm about to take off my friendship bracelet and Mia's like, don't take off the friendship bracelet. If I tell you, you have to keep it secret. And of course, she reveals to her that she is a princess. And Lily freaks out. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry about all of that stuff. Like, I'm super excited for you. Let's talk about it. X, Y, and Z, whatever. So... Lily, of course, gets sworn to secrecy and her and Mia do this really nasty secret handshake, nasty secret handshake in the history of ever. Later on, we see that Mia gets forced to remove her hat in class because Lana complains about the school dress code or whatever. And she takes it off and they see her makeover and they see her new hair and the class is being a little mean about it. But Lily says something nonsensical to like get the focus off of Mia so they can move on with the class. So Lily still has Mia's back. And so in the next couple of scenes, we see that Mia is rebuilding relationships, right? Like we see that there are more princess lessons and that there are books that she has to read and she's learning how to wave, but she's slowly building this bond with her grandma. And then she's also later does an art project with balloons that are filled with paint with her mom. And so she is having a better time and bonding with both her mom and her grandma. So she's rebuilding relationships with these women in her life. And it seems like she's really on the road to forgiving her mom as well. So that's nice to see. So yeah, in this next scene, Mike and Mia are walking to school together and he asked her out on a date on Saturday night to hear his band and to work on her car. So she's like, yeah, I'll go. And so Lily catches up with them and they arrive to school to see that there's a lot of commotion. There's reporters, there's cameras and come to find out someone has leaked to the press that... 
Mia is the princess of Genovia. And so Lana ends up pointing her out to the press when she arrives and they end up having to sweep her into the office. So the cat's out of the bag. The queen arrives. The vice principal is fawning over her. They bring in Paolo. Joe is able to track him down and Paolo admits to releasing the information to the press. And he says he was only marginally motivated by the money and that he mostly did it so that people would know that he transformed her from not to hot. So he wanted to be able to take credit for his work. Of course, there were no real punishments for him because he does show up later in the movie. So yeah, I don't know why they trust him. There are other hairstylists that won't do this to you. <laughs> so grandma, mom, and Mia are alone. And her mom is like, you don't have to do this anymore if you don't want to. And Mia is like, I'll get back to you on it. And in a voiceover, we learned that the queen's husband died a year ago. So this explains why there's like a lot more urgency around having a new heir for Genovia. In this next scene, we see Mia and Lily on a rooftop basketball court. Lily starts coming up with and sharing a list of reasons why Mia shouldn't be a princess. And Mia doesn't want to talk about it, but Lily's like, well, now that the cat is out of the bag, can you come on my cable show since it's not a secret that you're a princess anymore? Like, can you come on Saturday night? Mia agrees and this is a second commitment that she has made on Saturday night. We also learn and we should have known this that Mia is in the 10th freaking grade but Mia talks to Joe about some of her feelings and Joe basically said like hey you have at least got to try. So there's a fancy state dinner coming up and she'll get a taste of like what it's like to be a princess right. So it's like a little trial run before the big state dinner. So it's I mean for the big like ball that's coming up. So the state dinner, that's the next scene. We see her come out with this really cute light blue dress. We meet a few other people. We meet someone named Lord Fricker, who is like this drunk person who's at the party. We see the prime minister of Genovia, who's a nice man. We meet him and his wife and his daughter. It's dinner time at the state dinner, of course, and the queen comes in with this really lovely, pretty light blue dress. They did a wonderful job with the wardrobe in this movie, but there's a couple there. There are a couple of haters. They are the Baron and Baroness Von Troken. These are the folks who will take over Genovia if Mia turns down the crown. So this bunch of people is an eclectic bunch. There's this like unaffected Asian man who's sitting next to the queen. And then Mia proceeds to embarrass herself and her grandma. She ends up setting Lord Fricker's sleeve on fire and has to put it out. We see that they're eating a lot of green food and Mia ends up getting a brain freeze from the palate cleansing sorbet. And for whatever stupid reason, the prime minister and his wife end up copying her. I have no idea why. It's really stupid. Mia breaks a glass right before a toast and in the toast the prime minister <laughs> toast saying that he hopes the baron and baroness are always barren which is hilarious. The next course is a famous pear and cheese dessert and 
Mia drops a grape on the floor and proceeds to get down to get it. But then the drunk Lord who's sitting next to her falls over her and causes a few things to go flying and all that stuff. And the prime minister like dives headfirst into his food. But then the unaffected Asian man starts laughing and then everyone else starts laughing too because it's a funny situation but Mia just walks away from the situation feeling embarrassed and this is just like another thing to add to the list of why she shouldn't be a princess or you know her feeling inadequate for this job and she also felt like she let her dad down too. So it's the next day with grandma and of course Mia is upset but the queen is not disappointed. She actually thought it was really funny and that it reminded her of her and her younger days. So grandma cancels princess lessons and they decide to have fun. When Charlotte comes in to talk about her schedule the queen cancels everything and she's like I want to hang out with my granddaughter. So her and Mia go to get the Mustang out of the shop and then one of the songs that I like from the soundtrack comes in. It's a she thing and it's all in me. I can be anything that I want to be. Don't consider me a minority. Open up your eyes and it ain't nothing but a she thing. Yeah, they go and explore. They go to a pier. They play some games. There's an arm wrestling machine. And again, the Shady Queen wipes it off with the cloth, which is freaking hilarious. And she loses to an arm wrestling machine that looks like Rupert's cousin. And she loses the first time, but then she gets into it and wins by using both hands. They you know, take pictures in a photo booth and she gets rid of a picture she doesn't like because she's shady. And, you know, they start having a conversation, right? Grandma to granddaughter. And Mia asks about her dad. And Queen Clarice says, you know, your dad basically always wanted to be a prince except for when he married your mom and you were born. But he decided that, you know, his love for his country was more important I guess than his love for Mia and her mom yeah but she says it in a more diplomatic way than that the way I said it sounded really bad she <laughs> said it better basically she has an older son who abdicated and went to the church so her father basically had to come back to help run the country and be the prince and all of that stuff I guess the question is what would you do right like if you had a situation would you choose to rule over a country over having and being with your you know spouse and child which one would you choose I personally feel like countries will take care of themselves I might choose my family over the country but what I guess because my country is America I definitely choose my family over Okay, all right. So anyways, the queen tries a corn dog for the first time and it's time for them to head back. And here's another problem. Mia is 15 and she has to drive a car that has car troubles up and down the hills of San Francisco. And of course that doesn't go great. And she ends up crashing into a trolley and it's like a whole thing. The police have to come out. Mia's only 15. So she doesn't have a license. The queen's license expired 45 years ago. And we find out that the queen has diplomatic immunity, but Mia does not. So the queen uses her charm to weasel Mia out of having to go downtown and she basically dubs the police officer and the trolley operator for this fake 
thing called the Order of the Rose. And the cop looks like Reginald Vell Johnson. <laughs> but anyways, it's the next day. Mia goes to school and we see that she's signing autographs for a little girl in a wheelchair named Lily and another little girl named Charlotte. So little girls are looking up to her and admiring her, which is very cute. We see Lana is lying to the press. Lana, again, is like the bully who's played by Mandy Moore. She's lying to the press about being friends with Mia. And later on, we see Josh call Mia's name and says that he broke up with Lana because she was like a phony publicity seeker, which is the pot calling the kettle, as we find out later. He ends up asking Mia out. And guess when he asks her out? On Saturday night. Again, her third commitment to do something on Saturday night. There's a big beach party happening. And while she never says yes, it's kind of low-key understood that she's never going to turn down an opportunity to date this dude. So immediately... She heads over to Mike and says like, hey, Josh just asked me out. Can we postpone me hanging out with you and your band? Because like this beach party is one time and like I can listen to you play whenever. Mike is like, mm, okay, sure. But you can tell that he's really upset or whatever. And later on, on the loudspeaker, we hear a reminder about Lily's cable show. But unfortunately, Mia doesn't hear it and never gets back to Lily canceling on Lily. So, hmm. Something else falling through the cracks, y'all. So next thing you know, we see her getting ready for the beach party and Mia reveals to her mom that she's going with Josh and that she's excited for her first kiss and she wants her foot to pop or whatever. And her mom reminds her like, that boy was never nice to you. Like, you need to watch out for him. And she makes fun of her for, you know, wanting a foot popping kiss. So it's the beach party time. It's called the Baker Beach Bash. And we find out that there is only one week of school left before summer vacation and we get a performance from Lana and the Lanettes and they sing stupid cupid stop picking on me the background singers who are Anna and Montana are not even mouthing the words they're only dancing I don't understand why they're not they're supposed to be actually background singing or pretending to lip syncing for their lives okay but Mia is sailing with Josh and he's saying stuff like, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed the sailing. Most girls freak out when I take them sailing. And I'm like, mm, don't nobody want to hear what you do with most girls. You better grow up. But we cut to Lily's cable show called Shut Up and Listen. And she tells her viewer that the princess is going to join them to talk about saving the sea otter movement. So Lily is one of those environmentalist types or whatever. So Jeremiah has to do some magic tricks until... Mia shows up. So cut back to the beach and Lana is mad at Mia while they're on the dance floor because basically Josh broke up with Lana to go over with Mia. So we see and hear this helicopter and it's a news helicopter that's looking for the princess. And Mia wonders about how they found her. And, you know, Josh probably called them because he is a publicity seeking whore. And... <laughs> I don't mean that. It's a high school boy. I don't mean that. <laughs> but he is a publicity seeker. And Josh takes her to this private space, which is the maintenance shed on the beach. 
Josh starts, you know, spitting some game about how much he wants to be there with her. And he goes in for a kiss, but her foot gets caught in a volleyball net and it's not really romantic. So for Mia, this is supposed to be a romantic moment that she'll always remember. And Josh is just kind of ruining it. Like he wants her to give him a foot massage. And so we cut back to Lily's show and Jeremiah basically had to do magic for the whole hour because of course the princess never showed up. So this is yet another instance where Mia is letting Lily down first by lying to her about her whereabouts and now by not coming through with Lily so Lily is mad and righteously so so cut back to the beach the helicopters leave but there is a reporter on the roof and there's reporters in the bushes and when Josh and Mia come out they get accosted by paparazzi and so she tries to go back into the shed when she sees all of them but because he wants to be in the limelight he stops her from going in there and like kind of puts his arm around her and then the adult male reporters ask a teen boy to kiss the princess I have a problem with that <laughs> Josh ends up kissing her against her wishes and she pops her foot up so she can get her chunky flip-flop and bash him in the head with it and some of the female photographers are like yeah dude like hit him again hit him again <laughs> Like these people are incorrigible, y'all. Josh is eating up the limelight, giving interviews and whatnot. And so in the worst scene of this movie, worse by like most inappropriate scene of this movie, Lana, Anna, and Montana pretend to help Mia by grabbing her clothes for her and inviting her to go into a changing chant where they can watch out for the paparazzi. But instead, Lana actually goes to get the paparazzi and Anna and Montana remove the tent while Mia has her bathing suit off and the paparazzi is able to get a picture of her basically kind of like half naked from the changing tent with this horrified look on her face and so this is the part of the movie that is the freaking worst because the press taking these types of photos of an underage girl is in a friggin' appropriate. You hear me? Okay, so this is the part of the movie that I actually found the most problematic. Like, you all hear that a 15-year-old might potentially be naked and you can get some photos of it and y'all rush over to do it with no qualms. Most unrealistic part of this movie. Basically, the PE teacher has to hurry over and run to get... Anne Hathaway's character out of there and we see Mia at home crying into her mother's arms and she's upset that her foot didn't pop the reporters are having a field day she gets labeled as a party girl she has two pictures in the newspaper and the queen is basically berating her she's like girl you embarrass the family okay you're making a wise decision by choosing not to be our princess but you should still come to the ball because you're still family and and, you know, we can't pretend like you don't exist, like you're not exiled from the family. So we see that the queen has put the photo booth picture that they took inside a little frame and 
Mia notices it and she just feels really sad about how much she disappointed her grandmother and the queen has to do some damage control with the press. Joe comes in afterwards and he's like, oh, I think that boy was using her to get his 15 minutes of fame and Anna Falana Banana Bandana, you know, pretended to be her friend. And the queen was saying like, I was being critical of the next ruler of my country. And Joe was saying, no, you were being too critical to your grandmother daughter she's only 15 and she took your criticism on the chin you know you should definitely reward her or acknowledge the fact that she had a lot of maturity in this moment and we hear that both joe and queen clarice rinaldi have faith that mia can do this that she can actually be the princess so it's the next day at school Mia's getting taunted at school for being labeled as a party girl or whatever. She meets up with Lily back on the rooftop basketball court and Lily does not want to talk to her. She's mad about the cable show and rightfully so. But Mia apologizes and says basically like you got your wish. I'm not going to be a princess. And then Lily is like, okay, first off, I want you to be a princess. Okay. And Lily admits to being jealous and angry and hurt. And she's like, you being a princess is a miracle. Lily reveals to us that she got the analytics back on her cable show and found out that it only reached 12 people, y'all. And so she's like, I want to have an impact on the world, but I feel powerless because my message doesn't reach enough people. And if you're the princess, you can affect those changes because you'll have more power. You'll have a stronger voice. And so this day, the current day that's in the movie, in this scene, is the day before the ball. Mia invites Lily to the ball the day before the ball. I don't know about you, but balls are things that I feel like we need preparation for in advance. <laughs> like, don't tell me, can you come to a ball tomorrow? Girl, where am I going to get a dress, okay? And that's exactly what Lily says. Like, where am I going to get a dress? And they low-key forgive each other and kiss and make up or whatever, blah, blah, blah. She forgives her. So at some point, I don't know if this is the next day or the same day, we see that it is what looks like the last day of PE for the school year. And they're playing baseball or softball or whatever. And basically, if Mia doesn't get this right she's up to bat if she doesn't hit a ball or whatever she's gonna flunk pe so josh is out in the outfield and he's being a jerk and he's telling everyone to move in when she's up to bat because she's not gonna hit it very far and the cheerleaders are also there and it's like since when do cheerleaders cheer at pe class like what the heck is it? did y'all's cheerleaders cheer at health class and PE oh, doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, Josh is laughing at her. He, you know, of course, used her or whatever. So she summons her anger and she hits the ball that gets pitched to her and it hits Josh in the stomach. So she runs around and gets a home run and passes PE and also gets her revenge on Josh all at the same time. How lovely. So in this next scene, Mike comes to the house and Mia has to rip a blackhead strip off of her nose. Mike brought her car over and basically said he's only there handling business. He doesn't want to talk about anything personal. She gives him her last payment for the car and he's like, I'm just here doing my job. So she's trying to make it up to him 
by inviting him to the ball again 24 hours before the ball and he's like oh josh looks better in a tux and Mia is like, but I want to share it with you. And Mike is like, nah, cuz like I consider myself royally flush. And he literally bows to her and leaves. So she knew she messed up. So it's the next day at school. Mia has an ice cream cone. I don't know where she got an ice cream cone from, but if you know anything about private schools, they have amenities. So I guess someone is handing out giant ice cream scoops at this private school. And so Mia sits down with Jeremiah, who again is like the amateur magician with the bright red hair that has a crush on Lily, who is Mia's friend. Jeremiah is actually like really cute. Like I don't care for the red hair, but he has like a good like bone structure so anyway Mia sits down to talk to him and he's talking about how his portfolio has increased by 30 percent and he's on his apple laptop it's one of the ones that were white and had like the colorful accents on them so anyways the mean cheerleaders Lana Anna Montana or whatever are nearby and they're making jokes about how Jeremiah and Mia are dating and they call them Maya and Mia and they make mean jokes about Jeremiah and his hair color color and Mia is over it okay she takes her ice cream and she smushes it into Lana's uniform and Lana is freaking out and and Mia is like you know I may be weird I may be a freak but you're always going to be a jerk and so even the teachers don't mess with (laughs) even the teachers don't mess with Lana like they are laughing at the fact that Lana has ice cream all over her shirt now and the the vice principal or the assistant principal is like girl go get a dry clean she don't care (laughs) and it's one of those moments like from Mean Girls where it's like who feels personally attacked by Regina George. (laughs) Like they do not care about what's going on with Lana. And so the whole people who are in the courtyard are yelling, Lana got coned, Lana got coned. So she gets embarrassed and this is her comeuppance. And I guess this is justice. If somebody revealed my naked body to the press, I would do more than cone them, okay? But okay, we, you know, they're teenagers. We'll give them a pass. So the next scene is the turning point in the movie. We see that grandma gives Mia the journal that we saw earlier. It was supposed to be a gift from her father on her 16th birthday, but her grandma wanted her to have it now because she's going to go back to Genovia the day after the ball happens. So the locket that your grandma gave her earlier is the key. I think that is so cute. Okay. I don't know how you turn a locket into a key, but it's freaking adorable. And I wish I had a journal that was that fancy. I used to get a lot. I don't know why. As a child, I received a lot of journals and they had the little flimsy locks that you could just pick really easily with like a bobby pin or something. And uh, my mom routinely read my journals, which is an invasion of privacy. I don't like that even today. (laughs) So journals need better security, y'all. Okay, just FYI. But anyways, her grandma apologizes to being harsh about like the beach incident. She admits that like she thinks Mia would be a great princess and she thinks she could do a job. And Mia is like, I don't think I can do it. I don't want to disappoint you as my grandma and I don't want to disappoint a whole freaking country and I can understand why that is very scary okay as a 16 year old thinking about being responsible for a whole country anybody got time for that 
So we see that Mr. Robert Tussin is chatting outside with Joe. We find out that he writes soap operas and he is under the impression that Joe is a spy. But before Grandma leaves, she says, Mia, like you still got to come to the ball and formally renounce the title. And if we remember from earlier in the movie, Mia is not one for public speaking. The last time she made a speech in this movie, she threw up. And that's one of the things, though, because... Part of your responsibility when it comes to owning up to things or making decisions, sometimes not making a decision or choosing against a decision means that you still have to state that you decided to do something different. And sometimes that can be just as scary as going through with the thing that you said that you didn't want to do in the first place. I hope that I'm making sense, right? Because it's one thing to say, like, I don't want to be a princess, forget it. And just move on with your life being a normal person. But when you have to get up in front of a bunch of people and the press and basically the whole world and say, like, I'm going to denounce this birthright in names of being a normal person, there's a different type of gravity to the situation. So this is part of like her responsibility as her, you know, birthright is like, if you're not going to do the job, you need to confess to the world that you're not going to do the job. And that scares the crap out of her. And I understand why she makes up a quick lie about her mom driving her to her first ball. And Mia really apologizes. And her grandma says like, you're my granddaughter first, right? Granddaughter first, princess second. And she gives her a hug. So it's nice to see that they actually formed a bond after having not known each other for Mia's whole life, really. So next thing we know, Mia is running away. She's packing up because she's scared. She's not gonna make this speech. She's trying to go to Colorado. So she opens the journal that her grandmother gave her and she drops a letter to the floor and then fat Louie with his fat self sits his fat butt on the envelope and she doesn't see it. So we cut to the ball and Charlotte lets Joe know that Mia did not arrive with her mom. So he deduces that because he didn't go to pick her up that she's planning on running and he's right. So Mia starts packing up stuff that reminds her of her dad, including a briefly mentioned Fabergé merry-go-round that her dad got her for her birthday. It actually is very pretty. And so Fat Louie moves and she picks up the letter that falls to the ground and it's from her dad. And he's like, you know, you're 16 years old. I'm going to pass on a piece of wisdom to you the same way my father passed on, you know, know, a piece of wisdom to me when I was 16 years old. And so he gives her these two quotes, right? The first one is courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. So that's the first quote. But the second quote is my favorite. The quote is the brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. And I freaking love that quote. Again, this movie came out when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And sometimes you just got to pick up the gems where they get dropped. And that is one of the quotes that sticks out in my mind for real, for real, because I feel like a lot of people that I know, a lot of adults that I knew at the time were not making bold choices and were not being like super courageous with their lives and, you know, taking risks that have like high rewards. And in my life, I didn't want to be like that. I wanted to take chances. I wanted to try things. And like, even if I failed, learn from those things and move forward. So that quote really meant something to me. And I have taken risks. Like a lot of the things that I have done in my life, a lot of the things that I have been able to accomplish really 
is about like going out on a limb and being like super brave and just trying different stuff and being really determined. So that quote like really impacted my life. And I guess that's really a part of why this movie is really a big deal for me because it helped inspire me to like make bold moves with my life. It's freaking crazy that I'm like low key just now realizing that in this moment. But anyways, uh, yeah, it inspired me. And apparently it inspired Mia too, because she decided she's going to go to the ball. All right. And basically what her father was saying is like, Hey girl, some things are more important than being afraid. And you gotta, you know, take a chance. And her father gave her a message beyond the grave and it meant something to her, even though she didn't really have a relationship with him. It's very interesting to see how a father that she didn't even really know had such an impact on her. So, you know, sometimes there are some bonds that extend beyond the type of like relationships like the formal relationships that we believe that parents should have with their children so it's just really weird to see her be in that space of like having such a loving and affectionate feeling towards her father who she really didn't even know but anyways we're at the ball there's a bunch of famous people showing up the weather gets bad, which of course happens in these movies all the freaking time. Like right at the climax of the movie, the weather is freaking horrible. Okay. <laughs> it starts pouring down. We see Mayor Willie Brown, who I guess was the mayor of San Francisco at this time. He played himself. He came to the ball as well. Mia who decides that she's going to the ball, gets into her Mustang. It is a convertible Mustang and she's unable to pull the top up. So she has to drive around with the top down, which again is unfortunate because it is pouring down rain. And she tries to drive the Mustang. And we cut away to a scene where Mike gets a pizza from this guy with like a long red goatee. And it's a pizza. I don't think that pizza had cheese on it. It just looked like some sauce. And it had uh, sorry spelled out in M&M's, which, you know, it's a callback to him eating nasty piano M&M's <laughs> from earlier in the movie. But for whatever reason, that thrills. Y'all, what pizza place has M&M's on hand? <laughs> I don't know. She must have made arrangements and said, hey, I'm a princess. Can y'all get some M&M's? <laughs> Way to use your influences to get unorthodox pizza toppings delivered to the guy whose heart you broke. But anyways, the grandmother comes into the ball and she's wearing this lovely dress and she's looking like a brown sugar pop tart. I'm telling you, that's the exact color of her dress. Go back and look up her dress at the ball. She looks like a brown sugar pop tart. It's a pretty dress. Whoever did the wardrobe for like her character for the grandmother, way to go. Y'all did a great job. So we see Joe threatens Mr. Robertson to tell him where Mia went and Mia's car breaks down. She can't make it up the hill. And the press at the ball are starting to complain about making their deadlines. And the queen is like, hey, we're going to give Mia 10 minutes and then I'm going to make the announcement myself. So cut back to Mia. Mia's upset. She's crying. She's drenched from the rain. But the 10 minutes have passed and it's time for the announcement. She is laying down in the front seat of the Mustang singing catch a falling star and put it in your pocket <laughs> she is very woe is me or whatever and joe arrives to scoop her up 
fortunately, and she goes to the ball. And so the queen gets up to make the announcement that Mia is going to renounce her title. And Mia is freaking out. But she has to do the speech in her wet clothes and she shows up right in time and she makes a speech and she starts off bad and she starts rambling. But she's saying, like, I'm not afraid anymore because my dad helped me. And she thanked her mom for always being supportive of her. And then she turns her speech into this thing about, like, how much do I think about myself? Like, why am I so self-involved? And she starts rambling and she has to kind of rein it in. And she talks about the impact that she could have. And so Lily starts getting emotional because that's like what Lily was telling her about, about how Lily felt powerless because her cable show only reached a certain amount of people. And like, how powerful could Mia be if she had, like was ruling a whole freaking country? How much could she get done? How much could she change for the better, right? So Mia uses her full name and she's like, I'm choosing to be the princess, Amelia Mionette something Thermopolis something or other she has like five names but anyways she chooses to be the princess and the tiara was ready and her grandma says like I see myself in you so the prime minister sings like some Genovian song Genovia the land I call my home Genovia Genovia forever will your man away <laughs> i've watched this movie so much i remember that song like just off the top of my head just now paolo shows up why are they still messing with paolo this man has outed the princess and like turned this whole situation into a cluster and they're still using him for hair and makeup there has to be a better hair and makeup person out there that won't mess them over but paolo goes there to get the princess together since she is like a wet mess from all the rain or whatever the Van Troken family, again, if you remember, they were the ones who were going to take over in Genovia if she denounced the crown. And they're pissed off because she actually chose to be the princess. So they try to walk out and steal a vase, <laughs> which is very funny. They're like, oh, we taking something on our way out of here. And then we see Charlotte put the vase back like she caught them trying to steal it and she replaced it. Y'all, that is so funny. Like, oh, oh, oh trying to steal a vase from this house because they didn't get the throne. That's freaking hilarious. So next we see that Mia comes out in like this really lovely dress. It's like a ball gown and it has flowers on it and she looks really good and it's time for a dance. And we see her looking around to see like who she's gonna dance with. And she sees Mike come in at the last moment and he's looking like a young Wolverine and he dances with her and they go out to the garden. And Mike is like, why me? Like, why did you choose me? And she says, because you saw me when I was invisible. And that's like a, a classic little line or whatever, because he did see her. He was pining after her when she was a frizzy haired, bushy eyebrowed, you know, freak throwing up in speech class <laughs> so you know he saw her and he you know admired her prior to her transformation so there is something very special about like being seen and validated when other people don't validate you in that way and I totally get that that it's similar to how I have felt over the years and like how visible I was to my husband and the man who eventually became my husband and how 
previously I had felt invisible or didn't feel like I was noticed or valued. And then my husband comes along or the person who eventually became my husband comes along and he like sees me. It's almost like one of those things where like you have to have special goggles in order to see certain things. (laughs) It's like my husband had on a different type of lens that made me feel visible in a way that other people had never really made me feel seen. And that's one of the things that I really love about my husband. So make sure you find somebody who is wearing the right type of lenses to see you in all of your glory. So Mia starts rambling again and Mike kisses her in one of the consensual kisses in this movie and her foot pops and she's wearing a very sensible heel and it flicks on the fountains and the lights in the garden and it makes the moment really magical. Like this is how she would have wanted her first kiss to be and not like the crazy one at the beach with Josh. So they all dance at the ball and the crowd starts getting low and the queen and Joe walk out of the ball and Joe grabs her hand and kisses it and so you know I feel like that would be a scandal the queen dating the head of her security a year after her husband died that's not like a scandal to me okay but anyways at the end of the movie we see that Mia is headed to Genovia her mom is coming to live with her Lily and Michael are going to come hang out for the summer they're flying over the Mustang And she has like pre-coronation jitters, but Fat Louie, he's like, I'm leaning into this lifestyle. I was always royalty. We see a castle in Genovia and the song at the end of the movie plays. You don't need me. I don't need ways to help me fly. All things will come with a little time. So yeah, and then the credits play, y'all. That's the end of the movie, and we hear a song from the Backstreet Boys. What makes you different makes you beautiful. What's there inside you shines through to me. In your eyes I see all the love I'll ever need. What makes you different makes you beautiful to me. So yeah, that's the end of the movie, y'all. Okay, so at the end of every review, we ask two important questions. The first is, is the movie worth the rewatch? And the second is, does this movie hold up? The answers are yes and yes. Look, I rewatched this movie at least twice a year. It just reminds me of simpler times and it had a profound impact on me as a child. And yeah, as an adult, if I'm doing laundry or whatever, sometimes I'll just pop it on and just like be transported back to my 11 year old self. Okay. But the only real part of this movie that doesn't hold up for me is like the non-consensual kiss from Josh, as well as the reporters lining up to take potentially naked photos of a 15 year old princess. Okay. Those two things are like, mm, don't hold up for me. But besides that, the movie is still great and mostly appropriate. And I feel like I'm low key 11 years old again, dreaming about waking up to find out that I'm a princess too. Okay. I love this movie. And like I said, I'm always transported back to when I was a kid watching it at my aunt's house. Like, 
I just love it so much, okay? So the critics at Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a 49% while regular folks gave it 68%. I don't like that, okay? I don't like it. One of the issues that I have with Rotten Tomatoes is that we low-key don't know and we maybe do kind of know that these critics are not always the target audience for these movies. The Princess Diaries was made for people like me, okay? 11-year-old girls, preteen, tween, and teen girls who could imagine what it would be like to wake up one day and find out that you're a princess. And I sincerely doubt that any of the critics who rated this movie on Rotten Tomatoes were 11-year-old girls. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know what they're basing their reviews off of, but if you are a middle-aged white man who's a critic for Rotten Tomatoes, I don't think your opinion counts because you're not the target audience, okay? Anyways, I would rate this movie much higher because at the time this movie came out, I was a part of the target audience. So I know what the movie means to me and I know what I'm talking about, okay? Also, the movie made like a bunch of money and was an unexpected success. So, you know, forget those critics. Okay. Don't listen to your critics. Listen to your fans. That's from Michael Scott. So thank you so much for listening to my review of The Princess Diaries. In the next episode, my special guest and I will be reviewing the 1995 film Major Pain featuring Damon Wayans, Karen Parsons, and Orlando Brown. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out.